We're in 2 Kings chapter 4 tonight, um, keeping this brief tonight because it's just, we're continuing some of this theme, a couple of, there's some heavy duty stories coming up, but for, for now, Elisha is just doing some pretty, can you call them minor miracles? I mean, as a miracle minor, I mean, if we've seen something like what they saw, like they saw back then, we might not uh, have the nerve to call it minor. But there's a couple of these things. I mean, uh, as, I, as I watch the Hallmark movies, of course, it's the season for miracles, we're told, right? Um, everybody's life changes at Christmas time, and then New Year's comes, and I guess it just kind of reverts back to normal. But um, as, we, as we look at a couple of these, at least, you're going to have a feeling of deja vu, like you've been here before. But it's not really deja vu, because the story you're familiar with happens after this. This is the original one, so it's really voodage is really what it is, or, or something like that. Um, they're not significant to the movement of the story. All it really does, it seems to me, is that it, well, we'll talk about what these miracles do, but if, you, if you've watched Hunger Games and Katniss Everdeen is on the run for her life, and every once in a while, uh, Hamish is able to send her aid, and it kind of goes ding, 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 and this thing floats down from the sky, and it lands on her, and it's exactly what she needed for that moment. It, it's almost like these miracles are little signs from God that he, is, um, he cares about the people, he sees the plight they're in, but it's not like a dramatic thing like in the time of Jesus stuff. So the first one we looked at a moment, uh, we had read to us just a moment ago, we're in uh, chapter 4 of 2 Kings. Elisha came to Gilgal and there's a famine in the land and he put this large pot for a boiling stew and everybody went out, I guess, and got stuff. And somebody happened to have gotten some kind of poisonous gourd and threw it in there. And as it was cooking up, it made the whole thing tainted. It's called poison in the pot. Okay, that's the way he describes it, or death in the pot. And then Elisha just simply throws some flour in there and says it's going to be fine, and everybody eats, and it tastes fine, doesn't hurt anybody. I don't know what the, uh, the, the, the flour is supposed to be, all that stuff. That, that's it. That's the story. Uh, and I, I liken this, I guess, to the New Testament, maybe when, when you remember Paul was bitten by a snake. And it didn't harm him. And we're told in Mark chapter 16, in, in the later, the last section of Mark, that uh, one of the things that God's going to allow is that people will drink poison and not harm them. So it makes you think of this kind of story in the Old Testament. But let me, let me establish what I mean by miracles as we get started. One is that a miracle, as I am defining it, it's not the only definition there is, but we've got to work from something. Number one is there's a human being who's an agent through which it happens. And this, to me, separates a miracle from, uh, that I think of from what is just an amazing thing God does, is there is a human agent he uses to transfer his power and do something. Um, I don't mean like a doctor who over time nurses you back to health. That's a wonderful thing. God works in that way. That's his providence. I'm talking about a person who can put a hand on you and suddenly your broken arm is healed. That's what I mean by miracle. Second is, it's so supernatural and unexplainable. 
Uh, I remember living uh, uh, at Henderson, Tennessee at Freed Hardeman during uh, uh, college time, and there was this building going up. It's there now. It's a Pentecostal church, and they said, this is the, the building, the miracle building of the Pentecostals, it said on the side. But there were construction crews out there. If there's a construction crew out there, then it's not a miracle. Isn't that right? Isn't that by definition? I mean, if you've got a guy with a hard hat doing something to lay the foundation, this is not a miracle. This is called a construction project, just like Walmart and Piggly Wiggly and everything else. Right? It's not a miracle unless I drove by at night, come back the next morning, and it's up. Now that would be a miracle. But something supernatural and unexplainable. And then finally, God is obviously the one behind it, and, and the miracle points back to God. And so that's what makes a miracle a miracle. It seems to me, I'm not the only one uh, in, involved in this discussion. So that first one, that first one, death in the pot is like that. And then there's a second one right after that one. Join me at verse 42 of 2 Kings 4. A man came from Baal Shalishah, bringing the man of God bread of the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley, and fresh ears of grain in his sack. Typically, you take the first fruits to the priests. But in the northern kingdom right now, there are no faithful priests. What do you do with your first fruit offering? Well, this guy decides there's only one guy really who's a spokesman for God or only one place, and he takes it to the, the man of God, and he brings what should go to the priest to him. And Elisha said, give to the men that they may eat. I want you to feed them with this. Talking to, I think it says his servant. I'm going to call him Gehazi because I think that's who it is. But Gehazi says, how can I set this little amount before a hundred men? He repeated, give it to the men that they may eat, for this is what the Lord told me. He's given the Lord um, credit. They shall eat and have some left. And he set it before them, and they ate and had some left, according to the word of the Lord. Does that feel familiar to anybody? You give it to them. There's going to be plenty. Well, how in the world do we have enough for this many people? This sounds so familiar to the feeding of the 5,000, but this is long before that. Again, it's voodoo jaws, what I'm saying. It's, it happens before this. This feeding of a multitude. I'm thinking of this not as a miraculous thing for us. I'm thinking of this 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 10. This verse, this passage was given as the Corinthians had earlier in time promised to give help to the needy in Jerusalem. But when the time got close to actually give the money, they were kind of second-guessing the giving. They were like, you know, we're just not so sure that we're in a position anymore to do that. We really wanted to, but now I'm not sure we can follow through. And Paul is saying, hey, you guys promised, and you need to follow through on the promise. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will surely will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. This is not a miracle. This is the message from a miracle, right? This is a message that you learn from the miracles of Scripture. You can trust God to take care of you. And so what they thought was, if we give from what's in our store, this is a storehouse image. It's where you store your stuff that you need. And if you give out of the storehouse that God gives you to someone else, you think you're giving up something that's yours and it's not going to be replaced. God says, you do this, you give it, and you go back later in time, you realize you didn't really give up anything. It's been replaced by God. That's kind of his message of a miracle. The point is that when God gives, he gives more than enough. 
There's one last one. I want you to skip to chapter 6 for, with me. We're going to skip Naaman for right now. But chapter 6 is another what I call minor miracle. The sons of the prophets said to Elisha, chapter 6, verse 1, See the place where we dwell under your charge is too small for us. He's got a school of prophets that he's training. Let us go to the Jordan and each of us get the, a log and let us uh, make a place. Let's just drag logs down there and build a bigger dwelling place, right? And he answered, go. And then one of them said, be pleased to go with your servants. We want you to go with us. And he answered, I'll go. And so he went with them. And when they had come to the Jordan, they cut down trees. They were getting wood for the building. As one of them was felling an, a log, that's, I, I don't think of that, felling as a as a verb, but that's what it is. He is felling a log. His axe head fell into the water, and he cried out, Alas, my master, I borrowed it. Made out of iron, and iron was rare, and he borrowed this axe, and as he was using it, the head of the axe fell off and went into the river. Then the man of God said, Where did it fall? And he showed him the place, and he cut off a stick, and he threw it into the water, and it made the iron float. And he said, Take it up. And the man reached out his hand, and he took it. How do you build a sermon on that? an amazing little thing and it's almost like what difference does this make and really I don't know other than it was a it was a it may sound like no big deal to you it's just a little axe but for them it was huge it was a way of making a living and he'd probably become an indentured servant because of this piece of iron that he lost and God's concerned about that kind of stuff but I come back to the miracle discussion what is the point of God having done these kinds of things like this, and he made sure that they were recorded in the book of our authority. God wanted them in the story, and he wanted the story in our hands. That God works in very practical daily ways in our lives, seemingly unimportant to the overall story, but God says it's important. And so here's what I think we learn about miracles from this story. Miracles are to demonstrate the identity of the one who performed them. It's to draw attention to this. He is an official spokesman of God. A person is enabled to do miracles. God gives them that ability so that people can look at him and say, there's a message this man has for us, and it's endorsed by God. So God is endorsing the performer as the agent. And we see him doing this with Elijah and Elisha during a time period, y'all, where there was nothing going on in Israel. There was nothing good. There was no revelation. Nobody had scripture. Nobody knew what God was speaking, but he wanted them to know, listen to Elisha. And the way I'm going to show you this is I'm going to do these amazing things for him to get your attention, to listen to him as my spokesman. That's not a sure answer because also false prophets could do that too. So you also had to pay attention to the message they had. The two tests of a prophet were, if they say it's going to happen, it needs to happen. But even if they say it it needs to happen and it does happen, you still need to listen to the message. And if it takes you away from God, don't listen to them. They're false prophets. And I just don't think... I'll just say this, we don't really have any verse that wraps up the miracle age and say the miracles aren't happening anymore. We don't really have a clear verse to say that. But where's any, we have the final revelation from God, Hebrews chapter 1 through Christ. 
We have the final revelation of God. There's no more words that need to be said. There's no more truths that need to be demonstrated. He doesn't need to endorse anyone else for everyone to listen to. We have the words. And so just by principle, what would be the purpose of these? They were done also to point to the one who did them, the one whose power produced them. Miracles produced a little faith, but sometimes it was the outworking of a faith that was already there. It kind of works in both ways. But we, we have these miracles in the story, and we believe them. But here's the difficulty for some people. The interesting thing is these, these little miracles we just read about tonight, they function better today than they did when they originally happened. It's been more to increase our faith since then than it did then for the people who saw them in the first place because they're recorded for us. But here's the danger, and here's what a lot of skeptics struggle with, and even Christians. I don't see anything like that happening today, so I don't think they even happened back then. A lot of people think that. This is just a myth or a legend. But it was at a time where God was wanting his message to be heard. He was endorsing the message and the messenger. And because of that, he allowed this to be done. We often think that miracles were common all the way through the Bible. And we wonder why all of a sudden he doesn't do them anymore. But if you look at the Bible story, they were relatively rare periods of time when miracles were done. Moses did them. Elijah and Elisha and some of the prophets did them. Jesus did them in the early church. You add all that up, and it might be 250 to 400 years of time. But other than that, large swaths of Bible history, there is nothing that God is doing in these miraculous ways. It works kind of like it does now with us. Even then, they were relatively rare. But consider this, too. The response to miracles. It caused people to be amazed. That seems to be necessary. I mean, that's what miracles are for, to get the attention of people, and they're amazed. But that's not the same as being changed. It's not the same as my life being given an allegiance to Him. I, I appreciate people that will comment about how beautiful the singing sounds at Valley View, but can I tell you, that's not the primary value of our singing. That's not what it's here. You can be here and enjoy the sound of the human voice and not worship God at all. It's very possible to do, to be lost in the aesthetics of it and not do even what we're supposed to do. So these people often saw these miracles, wanted to see them, and wanted more of them, right? They were just so amazed. Even Herod said, hey, I just want to see a miracle. But it, it didn't, it, it's, the point is not to, to be impressed. The point is to be impressed so that you're transformed, so that you submit and give your allegiance. They very rarely actually produce salvation in people. Elijah... Elisha, Jesus, it endorsed them, it taught something about God, showed the nature of God, but they were largely ignored. And that's what Jesus says about the rich man and Lazarus. If they don't listen to the word of God, they're not going to believe if somebody rises from the dead, and it's true. How do you know that? Somebody did. 
Miracles were amazing and wonderful, but not as impactful as you might think. Now, let me ask you this. I want you to give me kind of like a, an idea of a number. There was a whole nation, maybe millions of people, who saw the plagues, went through the Red Sea, drank water from rocks, and ate food that fell overnight onto the ground. How many of the people who witnessed that stayed through the whole thing faithful? Three. Moses, Joshua, and Caleb. Their families, maybe. That's it. Well, if you were there, wouldn't you? Man, that would have just, who would have, who could have doubted after that? I know. It sounds like it. Miracles don't produce much faith. Jesus, what Jesus did, people saw it. They didn't deny it. They saw it, and yet there weren't enough believers to keep him from going to a cross. These, these things aren't as impactful as you might think. They're interesting and they're compelling. Mount Carmel, y'all. When you saw Mount Carmel, man, wouldn't you? And they did. They rose up and they killed all the false prophets. But you know what? There wasn't even a blip on the poles changing allegiance from the false gods of the land. Crazy thing. Miracles are amazing, and I'd love to see one in the nature and the definition that I've given. Listen, because I, I don't, I'm saying I don't, I, I don't expect to see a miracle through an agent is what I'm saying. That does not mean I don't think God works. I know he works. It's amazing to watch him work and know the providence of God. But this is a different thing. But they're not the key to believing and being saved. Trusting the word of God, leading you to the son of God, and becoming a child of God is what it takes. And those miracles help us along the way. I mean, I, I believe in them. I know they happen. And they've increased my faith. And there's more people today who believe because of the miracles that happened back then than even the people who witnessed them in the first place. That's just fascinating to me. So we go back to Elisha as we wrap all this up. And this is significant for us. This is his miracles even right here. An axe head. I don't care. You know, but feeding 100 people or, or making this pot suddenly non-poisonous. That's amazing, and it's in the revelation that I still glean from, my faith and my belief gets fed from. I still believe these things, and they still nurture our faith today. We're grateful they happen, and they're recorded for us. The Spirit chose to tell us this, and those things back there are written for us. But you take that word and go where it leads, and that's where the real hope for salvation lies and the real power of change lies. Even if we could add real-life miracles to it, it wouldn't change anything. They reveal Elisha as a genuine prophet with an authentic message from God as a loving, powerful, involved God who wants human beings to respond to him. That's what they're there for. God hasn't changed at all. Maybe his MO, method of operation, but not God. He still wants us to go to the Word 
of God and find the Son of God and become children of God. And those miracles helped along the way in certain ways, but they're not the key. The message of the miracle is the key. And may we always believe in those miracles, but may we absolutely always get the message of them and then go in allegiance to the doer of them. And that's what they're there for. If there's anyone who's never responded to the gospel tonight, you've been hurt, you've just heard some of the things God's done in history a long time ago. It's every bit God's doings. And every day He gives us common grace, sending the sun and the rain. God continues to do these things, to, to give us messages. He's there and He cares about us. And He wants us to be His children. So tonight, if there's anyone who's not a child of God and you want to become one, there's no reason to leave and go study this out somewhere. Be right here with us. We will share this with you. And if it's time for you to do that, make it known now as we stand as we sing together.